The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to the Money Answer Show with host Jordan Goodman. Whether you are starting out, deep into your retirement, or somewhere in between, the Money Answer Show has the know-how to help you. Now here's your host, Jordan Goodman. Welcome to the Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Adam Levin, who is the chairman and co-founder of Credit.com. We'll be talking a lot about uh, credit cards. Welcome to the show, Adam. Thank you so much, and a happy new year to you and your listeners. Happy new year to you as well. Let's just kind of start off with an overall view of the kind of state of the credit card uh, market. Uh, people have gone to literally hundreds of billions of dollars of debt and credit cards, and yet the, the game has changed uh, dramatically recently. Kind of give us a sense, are things getting better or worse for consumers in the credit card field? Well, I think things in certain senses are getting tougher because I think it's the credit is still tightening. And in light of the new Credit Card Reform Act, which the bulk of the provisions take effect in February, around February 22nd, um, it's, it's toughening up a bit. And we've lived through three years of a reign of terror with the credit card companies where they've raised rates, they've closed accounts, they've cut limits, they've raised fees, they've played around with due dates. Um, the Credit Card Act is really designed to bring more transparency and fairness into the system. It's not the silver bullet, but it certainly is a step. And, uh, you know, as a result, in the early days of the enforcement of the new law, there might be even some tougher restrictions relative to consumers. But I think overall it's a very positive thing for consumers. And no question, consumer debt has been falling, partially because consumers wanted it to, and partially because the uh, the credit extenders have forced them to. You say that uh, 2010 is going to be the year for accountability. Uh, what do you mean by that? Well, I think it's the year that, that the credit card companies are going to become much more accountable to the consumer because of the legislation, but we as consumers have to become much more accountable to ourselves because as more and more disclosures are made and we're in a position to be better informed, it is our obligation to be better informed which means when you get a notice from a credit card company, it doesn't matter if the, the now less than fine, more easily understandable print is bigger, bolder, brighter, and better positioned if you don't read it. You've got to read it. But the credit card companies assume people will not read it, despite what the lawyers... I mean, they disclose things, but they assume that uh, most consumers are pretty inert and inactive and uninterested and don't really read these things, right? No, they're, they're hoping we don't. More importantly, there have been stories coming out about the fact that credit card companies have been experimenting with the way that envelopes that have those notices look and feel to make them look more like junk mail to encourage people to throw them away. <laughs> so, you know, again, we always have to remember one thing as consumers. It doesn't matter how many laws are out there to protect us or how vigorous the enforcement may or may not be. The ultimate guardian of the consumer is the consumer, and nobody has the stake in our financial security that we do. And therefore, we just have to remember that anytime anything happens, we bear responsibility for our own economic situation. Isn't there a general feeling in Washington that 
consumers do have to be kind of protected from themselves. I mean, there's this uh, proposal of the Consumer Financial Protection Agency, for example, uh, that would put another layer of regulation on top of what's already out there from the Federal Reserve and so on, the CFTC, the uh, FTC. Um, the feeling is that consumers can't take care of themselves. Isn't that kind of the, the current feeling in Washington? Sometimes I wonder whether Congress can take care of itself. <laughs> and therefore, it just, you know, it, it flows to the consumers. And, you know, I, I was involved in, in, in appointive and ran for elective office, so I, you know, I understand the feeling on both sides of the fence. But, you know, again, whether we feel consumers need to be protected, and, and the truth is consumers should have significant protections because of the nature of what I always refer to as adhesion contracts, where you have two parties to a contract. It's not business to business. This is business which has a much more significant uh, position in the bargaining relationship than the consumer does. And when you have a situation like that, uneven in bargaining power, it's important to have protections. But that doesn't mean that just because there are protections, people should assume the world is going to be a better place. It won't be because, again, unless you're aware of what the problems are, there's no, you won't be able to tell anybody. You know, perfect example, I tell people to spend five to ten minutes a day. Some people don't like that because they say if you add it up over a year, that's a lot of time. But I say spend five to ten minutes a day looking at all your bank accounts and credit card accounts, making absolutely sure that every transaction you see is your transaction for two reasons. One, because it could be an early indication of identity theft and it could be picked up faster by you than some of these uh, programs that banks use in order to determine whether is activity that's an anomaly, as well as the fact that um, this also will bring you eye-to-eye with the reality of your spending. So you get a better idea of what you're spending, where you're spending it, because sometimes you forget you did it. And it also tells you how close you're coming to the line, either zero in your bank account or the credit limit of your credit card, both of which could create ugly situations for you in terms of overdraft fees and the like, even though that will be changing somewhat under the new law. What role does financial education play in all this? You say that consumers have to protect themselves, but they don't understand how the game is played. You know, What role does that play both in schools and also maybe tell us a little bit about what creditcard.com offers as far as education if people go to that site? Well, first of all, I think that uh, you know when I talk about 2010 being the year of accountability, I think financial literacy is critical, and I think that this is the year, if there was ever a year, for government, business, consumers, and the media to focus on the subject, this is now. Um, I really believe we're coming out of many, many years of irresponsible borrowing, lending, and spending, where we're all to blame. And the, the more financially literate a population is, I think the more protected it is. And I think, frankly, for a literate country, we are shockingly financially illiterate. And that we've allowed ourselves to be lulled into this state of, of, of contentment when we shouldn't be, because it's a, it's a dangerous world out there. And in, in economics, what you don't know really can hurt you. Credit.com is an educator and an advocate. It's also a, a marketplace for products and services. But it's, it's really designed to significantly increase the level of consumer awareness and to make people understand that even though there are certain products and available, services that are available to them, there are pros and cons with every product and service, and that you really need to honestly think about the upside and the downside before you engage in anything. 
whether it's something we offer or something other people offer. What is the business model for Credit.com? How do you get paid if the material you're seeing on there is free to consumers? We uh, we are we generate fees from institutions to whom people go uh, as a result of seeing products and services on Credit.com. And we so, try to be unbiased and give people sort of the best clue as to which way to go. And then it's it's really up to them as to which way they want to go. But is this credit cards only, or do you have mortgages and other kinds of credit products? No, no. We uh, we always were involved in mortgage education. The the real focus of Credit.com really is now is credit cards and credit reports, um, credit education, like some personal loans, but basically focused on credit cards and credit reports. What is your prediction for the credit card market for 2010? Are there going to be a shrinkage in the number of cards outstanding, uh, the amount of debt uh, outstanding? What is your sense of uh, the trends for this coming year? Well, actually, I'm one of those people that say the most, the most that I'm sure of is that I'm not sure. And that, uh, you know, do I think that there, there could be increasing levels of debt again? There could well be. People have a tendency to get a little calmer and to get a little bolder. I know that the credit card companies have been trimming. We know they've trimmed way over $2 trillion worth of available credit through all the different credit lines. Uh, we know that credit card debt has fallen from uh, just under a trillion dollars to about $890 billion. Uh, in the past year or so, and I think it's starting to lift again a little bit. But there is no question that the credit card companies are going to get tougher with the, the credit that's available out there based on the fact that their options are more limited and that I think consumers are going to be somewhat more cautious after what we've been through the past few years. And there's still great concern about what happens in 2010. What, what do you expect to happen with credit lines this year? As you say, they trimmed $2 trillion last year. Uh, is that going to continue this year, and, and if so, how much? Uh, I, I couldn't begin to quantify it. I don't know, but I do think that it's possible. I mean, let's face it, because their uh, wiggle room is being more limited in terms of raising rates on available on existing uh, balances and uh, the, the fact that things are going to be much tougher with over-limit fees and rates and fees in general, uh, that while there there's a great shift going on in the credit card market, for instance, over to variable rate cards, is Example, which is one of the exceptions to being able to raise rates on existing balances. Um, I just think that they're going to say, the credit card companies are going to say that because we have somewhat more restrictions on us, we're going to be much tougher on the availability of credit to people in the lower credit rungs. Now, President Obama has been having several meetings with bank executives, including credit card executives, saying, lend, lend, lend. We gave you these hundreds of billions of dollars in the TARP money. Get this money out to small businesses. Get this out to consumers. Are they listening to that message in the credit card world? I don't know if they're listening yet. Hopefully they will listen. We've learned that sometimes it takes a while to jawbone uh, institutions uh, to do what you need to do and do the right thing. I think it's outrageous that we've given them all this money and they have been as tight as they have in terms of making credit available. Uh, you know, we're in, an, in a fascinating age now. It's almost like institutional schizophrenia. We are passing laws to protect us against institutions that, to some extent, we are now shareholders of. So it's uh, it's an interesting rub that's going on right now. But they've, they've got to make more money available. They've got to free it up. They've got to make money available to small businesses. I mean, small businesses are one of the critical engines of turning this economy around. Although some of the biggest small business lenders 
pretty much shut down. Advanta, for example, basically froze all of its lines. I think that was the largest credit card issuer to small businesses. A CIT Group has gone through bankruptcy and is not doing an awful lot of lending. And a lot of the other companies have really drastically reduced their small business lending. Why is this happening while the president were bailing them out and, and small business is the engine of job growth? Well, you know, it's almost uh, you want to make the analogy to what's happened with uh, the consumer uh, credit card market is that uh, credit card companies would point to delinquencies and to uh, defaults and then say that was the reason why they were raising rates. And yet, you ask yourself a question. You had consumers who were going along. They were making more than the minimum payment. They had a budget. They had a plan. They were comfortable in what they were doing. And then all of a sudden, they wake up and their minimum payment has been doubled. And they find that their interest rate went from, let's say, 15.99 to 30. And a lot of people got knocked off track. So the question is, was that not possibly a self-fulfilling prophecy? And the same thing has happened. A lot of of the credit cards that were out there for small businesses were credit cards that were really consumer credit cards, backed by consumers. And they were based on the credit lines of the consumers. And things toughened up, it got a little rough, and then they started cutting back, and there were defaults and delinquencies. And then what happened is they kept raising rates. And you can't keep, you know, it's one thing to raise a rate on someone because they've fallen behind in a specific payment to you. It's another thing because you raise rates because of either a universal default situation or you claim it's it's an environmental repricing. And the question is, are you not contributing to the negativity in the environment and the problems if you're raising rates? Almost like pushing people over the edge. Yes. Okay, we're going to have a break now. Uh, This is Jordan Goodman of the Money Answer Show. Uh, My guest this hour is Adam Levin, uh, who is the chairman and co-founder of Credit.com, a real expert on the whole world of credit cards. We'll be back after this. Up-to-date business and financial news. Call now and get the financial information you need. 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. The experts are here. Voice America Business Network. Jordan Goodman has created the Money Answers Network to put at his listeners' fingertips the very best personal finance products and services that he has found in his 30 years of research. If you have a money question, Jordan Goodman has a money answer. To find out more, go to www.moneyanswers.com. The Money Answers Network features top products and services in virtually every area of personal finance, car buying, and leasing, college financing, credit debt, financial planning, investing, insurance, legal services, mortgages, retirement planning, wills, and more. Only businesses that have demonstrated excellence in both their products and services are invited to become members of the Money Answers Network. The public can sign up for membership in the Money Answers Network at no charge in order to be apprised of the latest useful resources. To learn more, visit www.moneyanswers.com. Get ahead with Money Answers. Are you ready to go green? You've asked and we've heard you. Voice America presents the Green Talk Network. 
Environmental topics are at the forefront of our society, and the Green Talk Network is here to keep you up to date on the latest trends and new innovations for the eco-conscious lifestyle. We'll help promote a variety of ideas on the environment, from global warming issues to how you can become more eco-friendly in your daily activities. Be a part of the solution, not the problem. Visit the Green Talk Network page on voiceamerica.com and tune in to help spread the green. Hi, this is Dr. Vijaya Nair. Together with my dear friend, Dr. Howard Piper, we are hosting our own show called Kiss Your Life Hello. We are two internationally recognized experts, researchers, authors, and health advocates in holistic medicine and counseling. We promise you a fantastic show with interesting guest experts to educate and entertain you with the latest information on mind, body, and spirit wellness. Join us on Wednesdays at 7 a.m. Pacific and 10 a.m. Eastern on Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. See you there. Income Property Investment Talk with Peter Mosca and Dean Isa provides homeowners and investors eager to invest well in real estate the knowledge, resources, and tools necessary to generate significant wealth. Our focus will be the paradigm. Live where you want. Invest where it makes the most sense. Listen live to the brightest minds in real estate investment every Wednesday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Business Channel. That's Income Property Investment Talk with Peter Mosca and Dean Isa, where America learns to invest best from the boardroom to you voice america business network you've been listening to the money answer show with jordan goodman if you have a question for jordan or his guest please call us now at 866-472-5790 that's 866-472-5790 now back to jordan Welcome back to the Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Adam Levin, uh, who is the chairman and co-founder of Credit.com. Welcome back to the show, Adam. Thank you. Let's get into the d- details now of this new Card Act, uh, which, as you say, goes into effect fully uh, February 22nd, although some of it has already gone into effect uh, to some extent. And some little parts go into effect this coming August, so it's kind of a rolling process, but the bulk go into effect on the 22nd. The first one is rate protections. What kind of rate protections does the uh, the, the act offer people? Well, they, they, they're not allowed to raise rates on existing balances except for three situations. One is you're 60 days late. Second, and, and remember, just because they may not raise your rate doesn't mean if you go over 30 days, they don't report you late to a credit reporting agency, which could hurt your credit score dramatically. Uh, or secondly, they charge you a late fee. So, yes, you will get some rate protection, but that keep in mind that the other, uh, the other impacts that will exist. Also, um, if you are in a variable rate program, they will be able to raise your rate on existing balances because your rate is tied to an index. In most cases, the prime, and we know prime is historically low, so as a result, there's no question over the next months, if not years, that rate's going up, so your credit card rates will go up. And the third instance is if you're in an introductory program, which has to be a minimum of six months, at the end of the introductory period, they will be able to raise your rates as they state they're going to raise your rates. Now, that's on existing balances. On a prospective basis for future purchases, they do have the right to raise your rate um, after you've had your card at least one year. Now, some people say that universal default is gone. Universal default is where you do something negative someplace else in your credit life, 
and then every credit card company would pounce on that event and use it as an excuse to raise your rate on their card, even if you'd been a solid payer on their card. They would use it as an excuse to jump your rate significantly. Even though universal default is outlawed uh, uh, under the Card Act, no one knows for sure what they're going to be basing their decision on raising your rate for future purchases. So there could be some implication of universal default if, for instance, your credit rating has been negatively impacted because you were late on a mortgage or something else, and as a result, your score went down. They were reviewing your credit history and decided to raise your rate on existing purchases. So that would still be legal. If you your credit score went down because you missed payments on something else, and uh, they raised your rate because your credit score went down because you're at an increasing risk. That's but, not violating the banning of universal default. Yeah, because it would be, you know, again, one of the questions that was raised is that under the new law, can they simply close your account or lower your credit limit, for example, without notice or with very little notice as opposed to the 45-day rule? And the fact of the matter is that regulators came back and said, well, as a lender, a lender has the right to mitigate risk, and if they see a deteriorating credit position, they would have a right to move to protect themselves. So one could argue, and it's one of those nuances and crack and crevice in the law, that if your credit rating goes down because of a negative event, that could give them the ability to raise rates on future purchases. However, the other benefit to consumers is if they raise your rate, they do have to review your payment history with them every six months. And if your payment history is solid, and if, if the reason they raised the rate was because of your conduct with them, they would have to adjust your rate back to the, to, to the original rate. However, if it's because of some universal default that caused a, a raising for future purchases, if your credit rating remains low, they might be able to retain your rate at a high rate because it's based on your credit history. All this is extremely complex. <laughs> and it is. Who is going to be monitoring all this? And there's going to be disputes. You can just see it right now between consumers and credit card companies on how to interpret all this. I mean, isn't this going to be just a massively com complex thing to enforce? I think it, it's going to be. I mean, there, there are some things that are simple in the sense that they must tell you, for instance, based on the existing balance you have on a credit card, how long it will take you to pay off that balance. That's an easy one. If yeah. it's not on your statement, they're in violation. If they if they raise your rate on an existing balance, that's a relatively easy one as long as you can demonstrate you don't have one of those three exceptions. Um, certain things that should be easy to enforce, they are much more restricted in their ability to market to uh, people under the age of 21. A young person would have to prove independent ability to pay or have a cosigner. So that's that's a little bit easy to to enforce there. Um, also, the, it, you, it's the end or the uh, of of over the limit fees just because you're instantly enrolled in an over limit program. They would actually have to get your opt in to an over limit program to actually be able to charge you an over limit fee. So that either you opted in or you didn't opt in. But some and, of these other areas we were just talking about about you, uh, you know, universal default and all that. Is it the Federal Reserve that's going to be overseeing this or the Federal Trade Commission? If a consumer has their rate jacked up or gets hit with a fee, they think it's not legitimate under this law, who are they supposed to complain to? I, well, they could complain to both. I think ultimately it ends up in the, in the lap of the Federal Reserve at the moment because the regulations are coming out of the Fed. 
So it's still going to be very complicated, it seems to me. That yeah, I mean, you know, it will be the FTC, the Federal Reserve. I, I've always found for a lot of people that the, the first stop should be the Federal Trade Commission. For most anything, although the Federal Reserve is one that plays a critical role in this, and the Federal Trade Commission plays a critical role in this, so you, you've got... Are, are they set up to handle a massive amount of consumer complaints about this? I think I think the FTC set up, and I think the Federal Reserve, it's, it's, they're there, they have the mechanisms, it's just the question of people using those mechanisms. So say, say you feel you've been aggrieved, okay, you, you've been going along, everything's fine, all of a sudden your interest rate is jacked up, your fees are jacked up in ways you think is not legitimate under this law. Uh, you can then either write to or call the uh, Federal Reserve and they'll intervene on your behalf in a case like this? Well, yeah, I mean, they're, they're the guys. Uh-huh. So. Okay, well, they're going to have a very busy job, I can tell right now. Well, that's why you remember when they, um, you know, there was, when there was the move afoot to, uh, to move the enforcement date from February 22nd up to, uh, up to December 1st. Yes. Um, and Bernanke actually came out and, and made the statement that he didn't think there'd be a long enough comment period because of the regulations that would be proposed and then implemented. Um, you know, uh, it's one of those things. Well, of course, for me, that was interesting because it was like, what did people expect? Consumers were going to say, do it, and <laughs> banks were going to say, don't do it. <laughs> so that was an easy one, but, you know, they're trying to kind of sort this thing out, and I think there is a mechanism in place, but I think it's... We we need to be ever vigilant, and uh, I certainly think that if issues arise, even though they're federal issues, if a consumer has a problem, they should certainly contact the Department of Consumer Affairs of their state or the Attorney General of their state, because Attorneys General, when they band together, can be a very lethal force when it comes to dealing in this space, and they might be able to get a better hearing on behalf of consumers than an individual consumer might. Now let's talk about billing and payment protections. For example, the so-called double-cycle billing, uh, where in effect they charge interest for something you've already paid off, that is banned. Is that correct? So that is that is banned. So explain how how that used to work and how that's not going to happen anymore. Well, the way it used to work is basically you would pay something and then they would still somehow go back and charge you interest for a portion of the bill you already paid. And under this law, it's just not supposed to happen, and it's supposed to be calculable. Again, not an easy calculation, but Double-cycle billing has been banned. So have the, com- the banks been spending all this time reprogramming their computers so this is all going to work out smoothly? One never knows how smoothly things will or won't happen. We certainly know we're dealing with organizations that never met a fee they didn't like. And, you know, I, I, I tell consumers that, you know, don't get too comfortable if you hear that some fee is being eliminated because there is infinite creativity in these institutions in terms of coming up with new fees. And or those fees in general, old fees. These fees would not be banned by the law, the, the new things they're coming up with? Well, for instance, annual fees are not banned. Late fees are not banned. Um, uh, foreign currency uh, transactions are not banned. Conversion fees are not banned. There's still many, many categories of fees that exist. Now I know one of the banks is experimenting with a, um, a failure-to-use fee or Inactivity fee or something like that? Inactivity fee, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, And how about grace periods? How are grace periods going to be changed by this law? Well, well, certainly uh, one thing that happens, first of all, the the bill has to be mailed to you 21 days in advance, which is much more important. It hadn't been. Sometimes they would be mailing 14 days in advance. Um, And uh, I know that different banks have been adopting different policies relative to these... uh, 
for these uh, grace periods. So, and the fact is that bills will be due on a uh, payments will be due on a specific time, and they won't be staggered until the end of the business day on the due date. So that should be a little better. Yeah. Okay, uh, we're going to take a break. Uh, this is Jordan Goodman of the Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Adam Levin, uh, who is the chairman and co-founder of Credit.com. We're talking all about credit cards uh, during this hour of the Money Answer Show. We'll be back after this. markets up or down or if you're looking to improve your portfolio our experts are ready to talk to you call now toll free 866-472-5790 that's 866-472-5790 voice america business network Ready to grow your business? Listen for the Independent Business Owner Show with your coach, Rick Carrado. This entertaining talk radio program will bring you the tools to help increase your business. You'll learn sales success, time management, lead generation, business development, life balance, and much more. Rick Carrado is here to help you take your business to the next level. Listen for the Independent Business Owner Show, heard live every Monday morning at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Business Network. Join Patricia Raskin, the host of Positive Living on VoiceAmerica.com, Monday at 11 Pacific. This program brings you practical and inspiring principles for living a more authentic, engaging, and passionate life. Patricia's guests will give you a formula for connecting, giving, forgiving, and miraculous living. So tune in and call to Positive Living, Mondays at 11 Pacific Time, right here on VoiceAmerica.com. Journey into the realm of spirit, the source of all things. Master fear in these tumultuous times and learn ancient ways to abundant love and healing. Why Shamanism Now, a practical path to authenticity, will awaken the unique genius within you. Host Christina Pratt challenges you to initiate your innate powers within to gain health, well-being, and joy through the practices of Last Mask Center for Shamanic Healing. Tune in each week to Why Shamanism Now, Wednesdays at 2 p.m. Pacific, 5 p.m. Eastern, on 7th Wave Network. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Adam Levin, uh, who is the co-founder and chairman of Credit.com. Welcome back to the show, Adam. Thank you. One area that uh, we didn't touch on yet was uh, if you have an a account that has a high balance and a high interest balance and a low interest balance, the games are uh, is changing on how that's going to be uh, working. Explain how that works. Yeah, during the old days, it was kind of like the company store, which is the more you paid, the more you owed, um, because they used to allocate every dollar over the minimum payment to the lower interest rate portion of your balance as opposed to the higher interest rate. Under the new law, every dollar over the minimum payment must be allocated to the higher interest rate balance. So the consumers at least have a shot of trying to pay down their balances and have a more reasonable financial situation. 
What kind of different disclosures do you think people will get in the statements and the wording and the typeface, the internet? What's going to change and how they see that? Well, I think it's going to be bigger, bolder, brighter, and and sort of better positioned. I mean, I, I've seen the uh, uh, notices now, and they seem to be much clearer. It's uh, less 27th grade English and more human English. And I think that's that's a really important thing. At least, you know, again, a, a consumer with information uh, can be, I think, a, 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 a less riskier borrower and a, and a better borrower. Uh, for instance, uh, one of the provisions of the, of the law that went into effect last August is the 45-day rule, which is they have to notify you 45 days in advance of adjusting your rate upward, and that would give consumers time to develop a strategy, which is, do I look for another credit card? Do I lower my balance? Uh, do I opt out? Under the new law, you actually have the right to opt out of an interest rate increase. The only problem is they will most likely freeze your card, force you to pay it off over a period of time, and then close your account. Um, but at least you're not confronted with a situation where you're not using your credit card anymore, but you're being massacred by a significantly higher interest rate. Let's talk about, once all this goes into effect, how it's going to affect consumers. Do you think that banks will offer fewer introductory offers, uh, fewer rewards? There's a lot of people saying that what the banks are going to offer is going to be much worse of a deal to consumers. You never know, because it's a highly competitive space, and you know banks still generate astronomical amounts of money from the credit card space. So I just think banks are going to be much more creative in, in what they offer and the way they offer it. Certainly we've seen this massive shift, for instance, over to variable rate index tied cards so that they've already found one way around uh, the prohibition against raising rates on existing balances. And, um, you know, there'll be other things that banks come up with. And consumers, again, I mean, this is America. You have the right to decide that you want to do whatever you want to do and take on as much debt as you feel you can handle. It's just critical to, to put yourself in a situation where you never face more than you can handle. And remember, you can only spend a dollar once. Now, if you have taken on more than you can handle, uh, there are two ways to go. There's nonprofit credit counseling and there's for-profit debt settlement. Why don't you talk about the pros and cons of each of those if you've just taken on too much debt and you need some help? Well, credit counseling, remember, gen generally tends to focus on credit cards. Debt settlement focuses on more than just credit cards. The only problem is there's an awful lot of negatives with debt settlement, which is that you're, you, you continue to run balances, you continue to run high rates, you continue to run the penalty charges, and even though they eventually end up negotiating, assuming it's a legitimate debt settlement company, uh, there will be a negative impact to you, both in your credit score and depending upon the size of the settlement that they arrange for you, there's also tax consequences. Because it's, it's considered a forgiveness of indebtedness. So it's not, it's not quite the, you know, it, it's not an easy solution. Uh, there are downsides to it. And, uh, you know, again, with credit counseling, there are good credit counseling organizations. There are not good credit counseling organizations that generally with credit counseling, they tend to negotiate. Um, they don't ne negotiate your balance. They just tend to, to help you come up with a, an easier rate program and maybe a more financially acceptable program to you. 
on the debt settlement one, one just to be clear what you were saying there, if you get uh, debt uh, forgiven, that is considered uh, income to you. So you actually get a 1099 uh, and have to report that as income for the amount that you're not having to pay. Is that correct? That's correct. And so, you know, there is there, there are negative. And so when people talk about uh, programs like this, they, they, they forget to talk about that aspect of it. Just like there was a, 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 a period not too long ago where credit card companies were actually calling consumers up and and saying we're going we're willing to 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 negotiate a lower deal with you but we need you to pay now and there were people saying well how is this fair i've made my payments and all of a sudden these people are getting a benefit you have to remember it may not be such a benefit you know beware of institutions bearing gifts and beware of the ramifications of what you do so would you think there are times that debt settlement is better than credit counseling or, or never do debt settlement first? Well, I think, you know, debt settlement, I would use that as an absolute last resort, and I would make darn sure if I was operating with a debt settlement company that, I, that it was one that had a good reputation, and there are, there are not a lot, but there are some. But it's a controversial space. And uh, they certainly advertise a lot. <laughs> there are absolutely because you know whenever there is a, there is a problem in the world, there are people who will immediately rush in and use that as a marketing opportunity. Yeah. Um, so you just have to be very cautious, and you have to understand the upsides and the downsides. If it's if it's a situation where you don't want to declare bankruptcy, you do want to deal with your problem, and you understand that there are there are ramifications both tax ramifications and negative credit ramifications, you know, move ahead, but move ahead with your eyes open and be fully informed. Speaking of bankruptcy, the report just came out that uh, 2009 had, I think it was 1.4 million bankruptcies, the highest since uh, the law was changed in 2005. Um, some of that because of people losing jobs, sometimes because of home foreclosures, but a lot of it because of the, the crushing credit card debt as well. Do you see that changing? Is this credit card law going to make it easier on people and therefore have fewer bankruptcies? I don't know. I mean, again, this is, this is one of those situations where, as it unfolds, we'll all have a better idea of where it's going. But, again, the most important part of this law is that it does make it more transparent. It does give consumers the ability to become more aware. And it's, it's, it's the responsibility of consumers to, to be more aware and, and to then, because we have more time to pay bills and, be, and because we have more time to develop strategies, that it's important for us to develop those strategies, develop budgeting plans, and stay with those budgeting plans. How about uh, debit cards versus credit cards? I, I think in 2009 there were more debit card transactions than credit cards and more volume on debit cards and credit cards. Is that a a good thing for society to have more debit cards and credit cards? Well, you know, again, there's there's ups and downs with both pros and cons, and that is that debit cards are a, a self-regulatory mechanism in that you can only spend what you got to spend, whereas with a credit card, it's other people's money, and sometimes you get acquisition ecstasy, and by the time you come down to earth, you've put yourself in a significant hole, and, and you're trying to figure out what to do. Uh, I advocate in many, in many instances using credit cards more than debit cards because I think from the perspective of identity theft, they have more protections. There's 50 or zero liability, in most cases zero liability. With debit cards, depending upon when you determine that you have a problem and when you notify the institution, that could have an impact on your liability, especially if you're using the PIN function 
as opposed to the signature function of the debit card. And in addition to which, remember the debit card is the gateway to your bank account, and your bank account could be the gateway to your life. And with a credit card, because it's other people's money, the institution's money, depending upon when you dispute it, it's not an issue. Let's say with a debit card, you're right. It's an inappropriate uh, withdrawal. It wasn't you. It's a fraud. You notify the institution. They will have to put the money back in your account in most cases, but it may take them up to 10 days to do it because they do have the right to investigate, and they do have the right under the law to, to take a little time to make sure that you're right. The problem is if that's your grocery money or your rent money or your college at your your child's college education money and it's due at that moment uh there are you know landlords and institutions that really it's not there as far as they're concerned it's not their problem so that you have that bit of a time lag issue and how about uh, fees on overdrafts or debit cards is that going to be changing soon there is a uh, proposed uh, regulation for the fed uh for new cards i believe in july existing cards in august where in order for you to be charged an over-limit fee, you have to opt in to an over-limit program. And, uh, you know, the downside is if you're not an over-limit program, you will be rejected when you get to the, the cash register or the swiping machine. Um, and it's not just it's going to go through, uh, but you're going to pay a fee because the fees have been whopping. Uh, they were something like $28 billion in 2009 for over-limit fees on debit cards. That's a, that's a huge number. And more interestingly, those fees were concentrated in approximately 16% of the population. So that's a big number and a big burden for people that's going to change. The flip side is you're going to get rejected at the register. If you have that option to opt in, do you think most people should accept that or not accept that? I frankly would not accept it. I would, but but in, in, in turn, then you need to do a few things. You need to, number one, check those accounts daily to make sure you know where you are and leave a cushion in there. So if you have 3000 in that account and you think you've got about 2500 or you should say to yourself, i got about 2500 so you give yourself about a $500 cushion in the event that you have an automatic uh, withdrawal coming based on some program you're in or, or something else that you might be doing. Also, link accounts. If you link accounts, you don't necessarily have that issue, and there are programs banks have now that if you're over in one, they immediately just draw from another. Uh, also, with the way technology is advanced, you can enroll yourself in programs where you get alerts. So say, okay, if you have a, an account that, and you say, okay, my limit is 3000 that's what I have in my account, I want to know when I'm at 2000 I want to know I'm at a 2500 just so that you're... You're more aware of where you are. That's the most critical thing in financial services. You've got to know where you are so you can make intelligent decisions. And a lot of people don't in many cases with debit cards. That's why they go over so often and get these fees. I right. guess what got people so upset was they would you know, do five transactions for 20 cents or you know, a $3 coffee at Starbucks and get a $39 over-limit fee each time. It just was, you know, people paying $250 for a cup of coffee or something. Well, that's when the Happy Meal becomes extremely unhappy. That's right. And, and one of the practices that they were doing, and this is the danger, you know, if you opt in, is they were doing the practice where if you had four transactions and one puts you over and the other three didn't, 
they would run the first one through so that you were over and then charge you four over-limit fees as opposed to just one. How creative banks can be, indeed. Oh, yeah. All right, we're going to go to a break. Uh, this is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Adam Levin, uh, who's the chairman and co-founder of Credit.com. We'll be back after this. the market's up or down, or if you're looking to improve your portfolio, our experts are ready to talk to you. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Jordan Goodman has created the Money Answers Network to put at his listeners' fingertips the very best personal finance products and services that he has found in his 30 years of research. If you have a money question, Jordan Goodman has a money answer. To find out more, go to www.moneyanswers.com. The Money Answers Network features top products and services in virtually every area of personal finance, car buying and leasing, college financing, credit debt, financial planning, investing, insurance, legal services, mortgages, retirement planning, wills, and more. Only businesses that have demonstrated excellence in both their products and services are invited to become members of the Money Answers Network. The public can sign up for membership in the Money Answers Network at no charge in order to be apprised of the latest useful resources. To learn more, visit www.moneyanswers.com. Get ahead with Money Answers. If you're thinking of starting a business or are already in business, tune in as the Kitchen Table Entrepreneur addresses business ownership concerns. Business novice or not, let the Kitchen Table Entrepreneur help you each week as we present and discuss the meat and potato issues of starting and running a business. Join the discussion. There's always room for your thoughts and opinions. The Kitchen Table Entrepreneur is a valuable program you should be tuning into every Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern, 1 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Business. Network. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to the Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Adam Levin, who's the co-chairman, the chairman and co-founder of Credit.com. Welcome back, Adam. Thank you. It's a pleasure. We want to talk about uh, social networking and identity theft. Uh, is uh, there's so much publicity about identity theft these days? One think that people would be careful and not get victimized these days. Or is, is identity theft theft still on the rise? Oh, it's 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 totally on the rise, and and you have a variety of reasons. We're we're kind of in the midst of the perfect storm. You have millions of people that have been laid off, many of whom have a unique understanding of the kind of data that their companies gather, store, and disseminate, and a unique understanding of how to get to that data. You have the fact that the level of sophistication of identity thieves has been growing geometrically and that it is the crime of choice of organized crime. And you have so many examples of Eastern European, Latin American, and Asian um, gangs that come together in order to do this. And, and, and they don't deal with things like Sarbanes-Oxley or the IRS or the Federal Trade Commission. And they have unlimited resources. 
And we're facing off with a situation where law enforcement has been underprepared, under-resourced, and uh, outgunned by these guys. So that's a problem. Uh, identity theft has has, uh, has been growing because as people have become more challenged to find revenue channels, uh, many people have turned to identity theft as a revenue generation source because it's frankly so difficult to track down people involved in identity theft. On the flip side, you've got the government that's trying to be more aggressive and proactive at the federal level, but the question is, are the resources there? At the state level, and the states have been very aggressive in enforcing different laws involving identity theft and data breach notification, every one of the states is facing deficit disasters, so where do they cut back? They cut back in this area. And, and add to this the fact that since 2005, hundreds of millions of records have been improperly accessed due to data breaches. Now, when some people talk about data breaches, they go, well, only 2 to 3% of people on databases actually experience an identity theft. So it's not as bad as you think. Here's the caveat, and that is that there are many, many smart people involved with identity theft who understand the concept that identities are evergreen. They're like fine wine. They get better with age. You can bank them and that you can use them over time. So just because 3% of the people on a database have experienced a problem doesn't mean the other 97% of the people are out of the, wor- out of the woods. There is no identity fairy. There is no magic trunk. Uh, there's no place where these things are magically stored and protected. All of these things together represent a perfect storm, which means that we are all in a situation where it's not a question of if we're going to become victims of identity theft at one time or another in our lives. It's just a question of when. And how is social networking and people going onto Facebook and MySpace and all these places um, changing the whole ID theft picture? Well, the problem with social networking is that whereas you should jealously guard your personal identifying information, people go on social networking sites, think they made best friends, and give away all sorts of information to their best friends. In, in ways that you think are harmless. It's one thing to say that I was born, for instance, on September 1st. It's another thing to say I was born on September 1st, 1975. Now you've given an identity thief one critical element of name, address, social security number, and birth date. And then you have people that say, well, I'm in such and such a town. And they go, oh, really? Well, golly, where were you born? And they say it. And now all of a sudden they start piecing together the area where they were born. Many people put a lot of pictures on, on different social networking sites and they don't realize they're either in their uniform from work, which they might be identifying where they work, or they're standing in front of their home and there's a number. And then they talk about streets. And then some people kid about, well, what is your stripper name? And historically stripper names are... What is the name of your first pet, and what is the name of the street that you, that you grew up on? Some people still live on the street they grew up on. And a lot of people use a, a number of these words as part of their passwords. And it goes on and on and on as to the kind of information that people give. For instance, you say, I'm getting married next weekend. So all your Facebook friends say, great. 
And then you say, by the way, I'm, I'm going away on my honeymoon, and I'll be gone for three weeks. <laughs> Somebody who may not be your friend, friend, could be sitting there going, well, I figured out ways to find out where they live, and now I know they're going to be away for three weeks. Is this, so, in fact, happening, that burglars are doing this and, and breaking into places? Uh, oh, trust it? me. Every possible derivation or iteration of things that could happen as a result of information and social networking has been happening. So what should you do to protect yourself, not do social networking? Well, it's not that you shouldn't do social networking, but be very careful of the people you give information to. Give very care be very careful of the information that you make available to people. Don't give information to people you don't know. Make sure your friends are your friends. I mean, there were scams going around where email lists from social networking sites were pilfered, and suddenly people on emailing lists were getting either cries for help, which was no, that was the 419 scam, which is where you would say, by the way, Bob, I'm, I'm trapped in Europe. I've lost everything. Please wire money to this. I'm in trouble. Instead of picking up the phone and calling friends, people actually just responded. Um, you don't do stuff like that. And uh, it, it's just all about if someone walked up to you and said what someone says to you online to your face, would you buy into it? In many cases, you wouldn't buy into it, but for some reason, when it happens online, you do. Or you click on attachments that you're really not sure where they came from, or you think it came from a friend, and it's actually malware, which injects Trojan horses and worms into your computer, and all of a sudden, a crease-stroke logging device appears, and now every time you go into a, a uh, one of your financial services accounts and enter a password, Somebody in Eastern Europe is sharing that information, <laughs> and as a result, they find ways of uh, of crawling into your accounts and crawling into your life. So, what should okay? In addition to being careful about information, do you think like credit monitoring services or what are their protections? Well, are I, there? If I were going to give a list of the things that people should think about, uh, this would be it. First, don't carry ATM cards and and credit cards as if this is your inventory of supply. Carry one ATM card, carry maybe one or two credit cards, and make sure that you know what the numbers are of those cards if you have a problem. Don't carry your Social Security card. Don't go to ATM machines that are not in banks. Don't go into some of the heavily trafficked ATM machines because people could put uh, skimming devices in them. Be careful of when someone calls you on the phone and asks you for They may say, so, Jordan, uh, this is your credit card number. You go, yes, and they go, and this is your expiration date. You go, yes, and they go, oh, by the way, just to make sure you're you, could you give us the little three-number code on the back of your card? The response is, what do you mean? You're my bank. You should be telling me. Yeah. Um, so that's, that's the key to the kingdom right there. Oh, yeah. totally. So that's the kind of stuff. Don't just fall for phishing scams They, they where you get emails where, first of all, the IRS is not going to send you an email and ask you to click to a link and, and put in information. Your banks aren't going to do it. Legitimate institutions aren't going to do it. So knowing that, don't fall for that. If you're directed to a website, go out and come back into the website. Type in the name. Make sure you're typing in the proper name. And keep your software updated. Keep your computer protected and encrypt your information. Terrific. Well, very good advice. It's been a, a pleasure talking to you, Adam. We've, lots of interesting things changing in the whole world of credit cards and some really good uh, precautions there. I've been speaking with Adam Levin, uh, who is the chairman and co-founder of Credit.com. You can go to that website and find out all kinds of interesting things 
about your credit cards. So thanks again for being on the show, Adam. Thank you so much. And we'll be back again next week with another edition of The Money Answer Show. Goodbye for now. Thank you for joining Jordan Goodman and The Money Answer Show. If you have a question for Jordan, please visit his website at www.moneyanswers.com. And be sure to tune in every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time right here on Voice America Business. See you next.